the more we can have, you know, maybe the hard conversations that we're not feeling a connection or maybe that we are. But I think really at the baseline, it's communicating your desires. I know in non-monogamy, it's such a focus. I think monogamy can really borrow from that. The one-liner takeaway is you can still be really progressive with how you're thinking yeah. about relationships and community and feel most comfortable yeah. in a monogamous relationship, and that's okay. Hi everyone, I am Fair, and this is Monocurious, a mini-series by Polycurious that explores the question, what does monogamy look like in the 21st century? For our second episode, I did something that I've never done before. I interviewed a couple that's not actually a couple. So there are two single monogamous leaning people. One of them is Ava, our monocurious host, who you probably already know. And the other one is Tori. Tori recently moved to New York from San Francisco for work and also hoping to have better luck in finding partnership with a Jewish woman. Ava, on the other hand, has lived in New York City for over eight years. She has been consciously single most of that time, but now she's more interested in finding a partner to explore monogamy with. Today, Tori and Ava both share how their family and culture have influenced their desires in partnership, as well as their experiences with open dynamics. And my takeaway from this episode, as someone who does not have a traditional background at all, is that making a choice to follow convention, as long as you are aware of the other options, can be the right decision for you. So if you are one of those people surrounded by tons of polycurious friends, remember you are free to pursue a different path. Hi everyone, my name is Ava. In this episode, we also discuss dating culture in New York City and the various contrasts and experience men and women have. While dating in New York City is relevant to my experience and the 3 million single people here, like many others, I have found the dating app experience challenging and exhausting because I know so many people struggle with this, this past year, I actually took a stab at playing matchmaker in my community by organizing a group dating event. I learned that one, people want to find love, and two, this is an obvious one, it's not a simple equation to solve. There is something to our modern societal shifts, especially living in a big city focused on the hustle, that slows down the process of settling down. From my experience and observations, this is been often true for men in their 30s who are focused on their career and establishing themselves. While for women in their 30s who desire a family, they may feel their biological clock ticking. I can name at least five friends who have frozen their eggs in the last two years. Regardless of anyone's circumstances, I believe it is a journey of personal growth, getting to know your relationship patterns and getting clear on the traits that you want in a partner. Wherever you are on your journey, I believe this episode may resonate with you. Hopefully, this episode also helps you become better at communicating with people you're dating, whether you want to continue seeing them or not. Okay, without further ado, here's our episode with Ava and Tori. Welcome to Mono Curious. I'm so excited. I can't wait to dive in. So, uh, why don't we just start by learning a little bit more about each of you? So, I'm Ava, and um, I grew up in Texas. My um, family is from Iran, and my parents were divorced. They had a very conservative traditional upbringing, and 
their traditional energy kind of was influencing our upbringing. Um, and I moved to New York um, eight and a half years ago, and I've been single and dating most of that time. Um, so I'm in my early 30s. Just moved to New York from San Francisco, seven years in San Francisco. And, you know, I moved out here for two reasons, half personal, which is for dating and finding a partner and half professional, which is this is a better place for my work. So what was the logic behind moving to New York for dating? Because it's actually the first time I hear that. What I hear a lot is that dating in New York is really hard, but I hear that mostly from women. So yeah, I mean, I think for me, maybe it's because from a very young age, I was exposed to a story that my mom would tell of her own journey where, you know, she was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, for almost a decade. And she wanted to meet a Jewish man and knew that that was not going to happen in the deserts of New Mexico. Um, and, you know, she made the pilgrimage, so to speak, to New York. And lo and behold, within three months, I was actually uh, conceived. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, yeah. and I assume she, she's Jewish. Yeah, she's and that's Jewish. She... And my dad is Jewish and they're married to this day. But anyways, hearing that story, I, I think uh, that definitely had an influence. But also my whole life, I feel like I've tried to put myself in, you know, the place that I guess is most aligned with what my top priorities are in life. So like when I wanted to start a business, you know, I really wanted to go into tech, move to San Francisco, right? And when it came time to be like, okay, been, you know, done a lot, achieved a lot, accomplished a lot professionally. And now I'm thinking about, well, what are my priorities, especially in a world where we have more flexibility of how we work? Um, you know, I was like, well, I want to meet someone. Are you looking for a Jewish woman? For me, I've decided that it's important when it comes to having a family that we have some level of like ideological consistency. What I want for myself is, is where we can share our traditions. Um, and so, yeah, so I decided that that was a priority for me. And uh, trust me when I say the dating market in New York is the polar opposite of the one in San Francisco. Why do you think that is? There's a lot of factors, but I mean, a big one is just the simple like industry, right? I mean, you think about what industries dominate San Francisco and mm. it's, you know, technology and, mm. and- Too many tech bros. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot. <laughs> and also I imagine like, kind of like shy, nerdy ones. Yeah, and it's a really challenging dating market, I think, because there is a lot more men than women. And so it creates weird kind of abnormalities in that in the dating market. And it really does change people's behavior. Um, but it can definitely put you into like a very like scarcity, you know, scarce mindset. Um, and, uh, you know, and the inverse is true, I think here where it's like, there's actually disproportionately a lot more single women than single men in yeah. New York. Um, I low key have always wanted because I I'm a stylist and I work with men and I'm like, I should just like go to San Francisco, style a bunch of men, pack them up, present them really nicely, maybe have them go through a boot camp for dating and how to treat women and bring them to New York. Like we need more men here, you know? That's, That's a business. I thought like, you were going to say and find 
a man in San Francisco because I mean that would be a great way because you would like go to their apartments look through their clothes like you would get to know them like pretty quickly totally. and, and then you'd be like the hot stylist who like makes them look better I thought about it but you know I just love my life in New York so it would be more like an expedition to go you know help I, it's more like help these young men I was just like there is a service that could be done for many people that would make it a win-win situation. There was a dating service not too long ago who very famously was like flying flying women from New York to San Francisco to date and vice versa, meaning bringing men no out way. here. Yes, like that was a thing. Oh my God, I need to hear about this. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I do think it's this illusion of choice. And I think like women are more geared and like more interested in, I think, having relationships and I, I, I don't want to like say it, this is everyone. And I, and I feel as though men are more, you know, exploring or like to have all their options. And there's just this context of illusion of choice. I have more choices. Mm -hmm. And so they're not settling down necessarily as fast or easily. But then you look at like the apps, it's like women have hundreds of matches yeah. and guys like, kind of are, like guys are doing like a lot of work to get like, you know, matches slash like interest and get a date. I think men struggle in that sense with dating in New York. Like they're also like maybe footing the bill and it can get expensive for them. It's a, it's an yeah, investment. It, it, yeah. Um, that is a line item that it needs uh, yeah, to be on the budget. I, I dating has yeah, to be dating has budget. to be on the it budget. Might. Yeah, you know what? I think age is also a big factor oh, because sure. men can be in their 40s and then find a 20-year-old woman, right? And yeah. a woman in their 40s is going to have a harder time. Same supply and demand, right? It's like exactly the same thing, finding yeah. someone, even their age sometimes. I think that also plays into it. Totally. Um, there is definitely a huge difference, I think, where men that are like kind of maybe more established in their career and in their life are more willing and ready to settle down, to find partnership. And yeah, other, otherwise I, I feel like there is also this desire to establish themselves. It's New York. It's a very hustle city. Everyone's working. Everyone's trying to make make something of themselves. Um, so I do think that plays a really big factor. I know it has for a lot of the men I've dated in the last eight and a half years um, where work was priority or it took a lot of time, so they didn't have time. Um, and, I, and I think like the priorities change with age where you're like, oh, I'm looking back, I've done it all, like you said, and now I wanna like start a family or settle down and have yeah. that experience. Yeah, so in your eight and a half years living here oh uh, <laughs> and dating for eight and a half years. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I will say I, like when I first moved to New York, I was out of college and dating was, it was like the first time I was dating as an adult and I was in New York city and it was just like, wow, this is so fun. In the right? age of apps, I was like, it was really fun. And then, you know, within that time I met someone that was just visiting from San Francisco, oh, ironically. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think we like really fell for each other in like a very short amount of time, but it was not a realistic relationship. And then I dated a little bit and I, and I look back on the last eight and a half years and I think there was a lot of periods where I didn't date and I was not really available. And as I like, you know, continued growing and evolving as a person and doing my own self-work, I started looking at dating again and kind of reflecting on what I wanted. 
and really being so much more intentional and expanding in how I date. But there is this frustration that I've experienced and I have saw a lot of my friends experience and I just hate the apps so much. Like I really hate them. I hate swiping left on a person. I'm like, there's plenty of people I've dated that I would have never swiped right on, you know? Yeah. Um, there are like all these arbitrary factors like height, uh, what someone does for I a mean, living. chemistry, you know? Yeah, exactly. Chemistry is what's important. I hate text messaging. I don't want to message anyone. I just want to talk to them and see how we vibe. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I agree. I I was on a field, um, the dating app for a month. And it wasn't all negative. I met some interesting people, made some connections, but it was not fulfilling at all, which is why I'm not doing it anymore. And then right after that, I went on a date with someone I had met at a party. And even though it was just like one date and I'm not sure we'll see each other again, I was just like, oh my God, this is 200% times better than the dating app game and the texting and all, all of that. And then, you know, the meeting and um, it's always different than what you have in your head, right? And and very rarely is it better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's this predisposition when you're on the apps that you don't take, not to say that you don't take people as seriously, but I feel like the level of respect or maybe respect's not the oh, right word. No, it is. Is it? It's, it's, res- like, it's yeah, people it's feel permission like to... You, Treat people you, not as people, but as like objects on the other end. You just of don't a, owe it as much to someone that you've never met, you know? But whereas like I've met you, I care about you, like right. I connected with you, yeah. then I owe it more to you to be like, like, hey, like I haven't seen you in a while or hey, let's get that coffee or whatever. Like, Or even just to say, hey, it was lovely to meet you, but I'm not lo- looking for that sort of connection right yeah. now or, or I don't have the bandwidth. You know, whenever... I don't get that message and people just stop messaging. Even if I wasn't that interested, to me, it just doesn't feel good. And like, yeah, I I don't like, no one likes to be treated that way. And it's become normal and accepted to be treated that way in dating culture. In dating culture. And also, I just want to say overall, like, it's like adds another layer of exhaustion. And I think we're so inundated all the time, you know, like I want to, I want to share some compassion that it's just a lot, you know. I don't know. For me, it was really hard, like, not to be distracted with it. And um, it, it became a little bit addictive, honestly, because yeah. I like the attention, you know? Yeah. So, so I knew I had, I had it, like, at my fingertips, right? Well, it's, it's, it's the Uber of love, right? Or Netflix, right? It's yeah. like when you feel like, oh, there's just this queue. And it's like when you get in a car and it's like, oh, this person's here to take me from A to B. And it's not a human in the front seat. It's just this person in service of me. I think it's an extension of that. There isn't, it's not a person on the other side of this interaction. It's just like, it's an object until maybe you meet in person. But even then, I think this behavior has also extended with a lot of kind of unspoken norms to, you know, if you don't have a good first date, I think it's very typical to just basically neither person talks to the other ever but again you and know, you leave it at that but which you is know, crazy. that's probably fine, even if it's an unspoken acknowledgement that we met. We didn't really vibe. No need to continue the conversation. I yeah. think that's fine. Uh, but another thing is like for you to meet and then one person does feel the vibe and the other one doesn't. And then the other person 
it's like oh i'd love to see you again and then no response you yeah, know that's, like totally that's, that's where different. that's where yeah. it's that like that feels disrespectful yeah yeah i mean something that i feel like we've talked about is communication is a big part of creating the relationships you desire so having even just like the conversations we need to practice that that muscle is not being like worked and it's so important i think for dating to have conversations and these conversations are hard to have and people are not used to it saying whether it's i don't want to see you again or i do want to see you again or or i'm feeling sexually connected to you but i don't want anything serious is that something that you would be okay with for example so yeah it's it's difficult um i think as a society to know how to do this in a way that feels respectful and i think everyone hates dating apps and yet everyone's doing it you know yeah i think it's the like boost you know the endorphin boost just like the likes you know like oh i got a match <laughs> maybe i'll talk to this person <laughs> you know but it's like yeah. oh this is the i have this curiosity. choice it's the curiosity yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. oh well maybe maybe <laughs> maybe you know yeah 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 i mean i think another thing that apps do is it just sort of flattens like humans and chemistry it's very multi-dimensional um but when you're in an app it flattens the person down to pretty much a single dimension which is like yes, I am i physically attracted or not now the interesting yes. thing is like yes and in a weird way that means that the apps are both more efficient like they have a you know they have a score for every single user that's sort of based on the scores of the other users and how they're swiping on you and so it's mm -hmm. super efficient but it's efficient on one dimension yes and so you know if you yeah, have it matches hot people with hot people and not so hot people with right so it's kind of crazy people. yeah well um i mean i love this conversation i think it's important to talk about dating apps um also i want to say that it's also a great way for people who might be in communities where they don't have access to a bunch of people that they might be interested in dating, Absolutely, even, yeah. uh, you know, non-monogamous people or queer people. And of course, there's also beautiful couples that are formed from dating yeah. apps. It's just the culture around it that's... Yeah. Curious to hear, uh, Tori, about your experience dating here in New York since that's, that's why you move here. I've been on more dates with Jewish women since moving here. And I really have not had a lot of time for dating because I've been very busy with work. But I've been on more dates with Jewish women since moving here in four months or so than I had in seven years in San Francisco. And that's crazy, right? But that's just the... It makes sense. Supply demand. It's insane. And I can, yeah. I'm telling you, it's palpable. It's like you feel it. Like you feel it very much. It's like the market telling you like... Because you can listen to the market when you're in San Francisco and it can tell you, you are undesirable. Oh, you are no. not, no, literally that's the signal. It's very demoralizing. It's like, you know, if you listen to it, right? Yeah. The market will tell you like, nobody wants you and like whatever. And then you come here and the signal is like, you're hot shit. And so what's funny is you have to stay very grounded and just be like, market signals will be market, right? And just know who you are. Yeah, so has it been good to date Jewish women here? Have you been enjoying the dating process? Because we just literally <laughs> spend like, half an hour talking about how dating sucks yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so i think my hack for dating is i try to do things that i would enjoy even if i was doing it on my own so that like what that means is like during the summer when i was going on dates like going climbing or going to like a festival or going to like a really cool you know exhibition yeah. or activity so i can say that i 
even though none of them have like really resulted in a relationship yet, I've actually enjoyed, I mean, the worst thing I can say is like, you know, either it was boring or we weren't compatible, but that's okay. Um, but it's been, it's been great. But I can also say full disclosure, I've literally never had a relationship with a Jewish woman in my whole life. And so it's so bizarre to be at this point where I'm like, oh, and now it's a priority because now I want, you know, I'm ready to start a family. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm in a place where that's my priority. But it sounds like none of them have become a long-term um, person only been, that you are seeing. Yeah, there's only been one second date, I'll put it that way. And yeah. so how do you normally have these conversations when you don't follow up? Is it, hey, sorry, I'm not interested? Or have you been ghosting people? Mm. What has been your, your my communication personal, around it? My personal policy is I will try to treat others the way I would want to be treated. And therefore... Um, what I have done is I will write a message, um, like usually the day after, saying something to the effect of, I really enjoyed spending time with you, yada, 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 um, particularly this, this, and the other. Uh, and I, I can read maybe one example, but it's basically like, I, I, can you read one example? I'd be happy to, <laughs> but I would, I'm honest about either saying like, I feel what the connection I felt with you is was more one of friendship and not of like not romantic. So read us the text. Yeah. Um I just said I, you know, hope you got some sleep last night. Uh I had a lot of fun at dinner. You have an awesome perspective on life and I appreciate you. Because I value honesty and transparency, I want to let you know that I'd be more interested in exploring friendship rather than something romantic. Are you open to that? And that was it. And then, you know, she responded, um, you know, basically just saying she feels the same way and identified with me as a person and would love to be friends. And we've still been chatting ever since. And like, we've seen each other at like some charity things and we're going to potentially meet up later uh, in Mexico city uh, over around new year's. And like legitimately, I think we're going to, you know, we're becoming friends. And so I think like, you know, sometimes those small gestures can go a long way to just remember like, you know, yes, it's just a first date, but like, yeah. you know, how we, gracefully <laughs> leave those interactions can can, can yeah. make a difference what a gentleman i really hope that people take take the, that text as an inspiration i will send that and sometimes i get no response sometimes i get like a wonderful response and i think if you treat people with respect and treat them like a human like they'll you know yeah. they'll treat you well back yeah. um although a lot of times i think women don't believe if i say to them like i want friendship but but then once i sh like if you show it with your actions that like you know i reach out again or if i invite her to a dinner or if i do you know you actually show with your actions are aligned with your words it can lead to a lot of I, I love that everyone out there learn learn from tori <laughs> uh dating etiquette well it's also also like it depends on the perspective of the person if they're really looking for a partner or a relationship you like you're like I don't know if I want to, you know, invest time in a friendship right now. I, I think it's coming from a little different perspective, I might assume, from you, given that you moved to New York recently and, like, you know, if you vibe with someone and want to connect as a friend, like, that's awesome. And and, I, and I'm and i not saying that people shouldn't become friends with people that they meet on yeah, dating Yeah, but apps, some people don't want that. But people yeah. don't want that. Like, yeah. I, I feel like for after a first date, it's really hard for me to want to become friends with someone if I don't click with them. That's the minority. So to be clear, yeah. like most of the time I'll send the same message, but with no. not without the friend. Yeah. I will only send that if I genuinely am coming yeah. from a place where I'm like, I could see us being friends. 
So something interesting you shared earlier was you kind of find what's important fundamentally, right? Family values, Jewish culture, also very similar to Persian culture, is mm. very centered around family mm-hmm. and all of that. So I think like at the end of the day, it's really about what do you actually really need? So what's interesting though is I feel like I've definitely gotten some flack for wanting to, um, you know, date someone that's where the thing we connect on is around like faith and, you know, tradition and values. And, and I think though a lot of it that like what people might not realize is, um, I think what it's actually doing is it's controlling for like a whole lot of like downstream decisions that like you haven't yet faced, which are around like, you know, when it comes to the community that you want to try and live nearby or in proximity to, like, is that going to be a Jewish community? Does it matter if you're near like a school? Um, what are you doing every Friday night? Are you doing Shabbat as a family every Friday night? What holiday are you celebrating come like holiday seasons? Like, who are you visiting? Things like that. There's all of these things that I think don't really matter when you're just dating for yourself and what feels good totally. and for learning and for growth and whatever. For that, it's like date anyone and everyone. But then when it's like, when if if what I'm saying is like, this is someone that I'm going to have a family with, it's sort of like, it's it can control for a lot of things. Yeah. Now the irony is there's just as many women who I've gone on dates with or you know know well who are Jewish, who I know 1000% we would not be compatible on a million other dimensions. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's an, an end all be yeah. all, but it can help for um, controlling for a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, well, there's also like, I feel like the power of love those are things that can be like accounted for, you know, but I do see a difference. Like my dad, um, he dated a lot of women, um, and had partners like monogamous relationships as I was growing up. And he eventually was like, I, you know, I just really want to be with someone who's Iranian. Like, I think like being able to like connect over my language and my culture is just so important to me. Um, and I, and I see that, you know, I see that. I don't think, it's necessary for every relationship dynamic. I think I would love to marry a Persian man and like have those shared things. Like I, I really would, but I've also come to see like, if I, if I don't marry someone that's Iranian, I would love to still continue my traditions, my culture and celebrating that. And for yeah. them to be like really into it. But I, I don't know. I, there's something about connecting. Yeah. It's just different. Totally. It's different. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's great that you have those values, but there are values that you chose, right? Like you are choosing to have a Jewish partner and to continue that culture in your life and have those values, um, which is great. And I think it just depends on how important that is for you. And for some people, that's not important. I think what's important is that it's a choice. And on that, on, you know, being intentional about the way you are dating and the decisions that you're making, I was wondering where you stand in the spectrum of um, monogamy, because of course this is monocurious, right? But you know that the option to be non-monogamous exists. In fact, I believe that your brother is polyamorous. So I'm curious to hear about your perspective, making this conscious choice of being monogamous when you know, or monogamish, however you, you'd like to describe yourself, knowing that there's other options out there. Yeah. Well, and to clarify, I think he's, he's still in exploration. He's still uh, defining, you know, I think what he is. And 
where I see myself on the spectrum is monogamish in the sense that I would identify closer to wanting to have find you know a singular partner and seeing it as like a you know very very serious commitment to one person and to um you know someone who wants to partake in something that's more like a spiritual union and and takes it you know really seriously and wants to create and build something beautiful together um but if part of that is like we want to you know test boundaries things like that i'm a big you know big believer that experimentation when done with like the right communication is is really healthy i think that that's the sign of of a healthy um relationship and respecting each other's boundaries um you know and i've been in or i've experimented with being polyamorous and and being in a wide variety of relationships and varying degrees of open and um and you know where i landed is is probably closer to more monogamish than not because i think it's a more for me a more stable foundation to mm. you know yeah I hear what you're saying and it is true that being monogamous can be more stable in a way but I think that you also mentioned committed soulful and I do think that there's like a misconception that non-monogamous people are less committal or that you know they might not have as secure or like as deep um connection and you know I feel I feel like with my partner we just have a really beautiful like deep connection and I'm not saying you are like antagonizing non-monogamy, but what makes you think that being in a monogamous relationship means that you are more committed? Well, I, and I should clarify, like, yeah, it's not to say that you can't find that in um, a polyamorous relationship. I think it's more in my experience, um, you know, love can be very infinite and, you know, it boundless and, and you know, uniting within the world. Um, but when you break down, like, what are all the elements that maybe go into showing love or like the resources that you would use with a partner, those are all finite time, money, energy. Um, and I've, I think that, um, in a consenting relationship, I think that there totally are ways to find beautiful equilibriums. Like it sounds like you have with your partner and like, one of my closest, closest, closest male friends back in the Bay Area, you know, I met him at a poly meetup, like one of my first few months in San Francisco. And, you know, to this day is one of my best friends. And he, you know, at any given time will probably be in like five different relationships. And I really admire that he's able to do that. And he really shows up and he's very intentional. And, but if you look at his calendar, <laughs> you know, like he's booked out <laughs> like months. And, and I think like it's a life decision. Um, and I think, it just, it's like, I'm not saying it's a right or wrong thing. It's like the type of connection that I want, like, and the type of relationship that I want to invest in. I imagine us putting the majority of our resources yeah. into our own relationship yeah. and needing to, to do that, to make it through the hard times and through the good times. And, and knowing that like, if that's just the expectation, but we also might want to like, have space for experimentation. Maybe we're on a trip and you want to, you know, do something together. Or you want to do this. Um, or like having just space apart. I think even that is actually experimental. Like my mom, to her credit, to this day, she's 65. My dad is 80. He's not traveling so much anymore. She'll go alone and travel for two months at a time. She'll go to like, you know, Mexico or to, to, uh, 
where was she? Ecuador very recently. And, and so she'll be apart from him for two months, you know? And I think even something like that in traditional culture is very like, whoa, like, you know, traveling alone, doing this. But like, th- you know, they, that's for them where they've found, you know, balance is that she has a lot of independence. And um, I think each relationship, like you do need to find your own equilibrium. And I believe it's different yeah. for everyone. What I've figured for myself though, is like that um, is, is, yeah, is more around yeah. how, yeah, how we would dedicate our resources. Yeah, the resources. I think that's really true. Like, um, I mean, that's that's the reason why I'm not dating right now because I'm putting my resources on monocurious, right? And that's also why I consider myself open. I I could only imagine what it would be like to have two, three boyfriends and have to, you know, use <laughs> all my energy and, yeah. and resources. So, so, yeah, I think that's really valid. Um, but I'm curious what your experience with non-monogamy was because, you know, you base your decision to be monogamish now on that. Yeah. Um, well, my experience was... Uh, Actually, like I could, I saw how it could be really great. Like when there's a strong, like trusting foundation. Um, I think one of the things that I struggle with, um, or that I experienced is it, it just created a lot more opportunities, at least in our relationship for, uh, you know, insecurities to not, I mean, I don't really want to call them insecurities. Like it, it, it created opportunities for fissures or like fissures to show up, cracks to show up yeah. in the relationship, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, let me put it this way. Like if you're in an argument and like one of the safety valves is like, I'm going to go spend the night with a different person in the arms of a different person uh, because like we're not in a good or fun place at the moment or whatever. Like if if that's an option on the table and it's like, Versus like, hey, we're going to sit in this and like, we don't want to go to sleep angry and we want to just work through this. I think like it, it can create, um, you know, unhealthy, potentially unhealthy situations. Now you can have unhealthy situations even without other relationships. Yeah. I just felt that it added, you know, it can add a lot of complexity. Um, and relationships are already very, very, very. Yeah, complex. I agree. <laughs> it adds a lot of complexity. Um, I, I always say people, say to people if you are in a tough place in your relationship don't open up like I would never do that I would never go and meet with a date when I'm in a fight with my partner you know and I don't I I don't recommend people to do that but even if you are doing it well having another person in the picture does complicate things uh, does uh, make your resources more limited um, after you account for for those people. So I I totally totally hear that. Um, how about you, Ava? Where where do you stand in the spectrum? So the desire for um, doing monocurious was really to explore what monogamy looks like in the 21st century. Uh, from my perspective, I you know okay, like I said, I had divorced parents, they weren't an arranged marriage, but they like essentially were kind of like set up as a, there's um, a traditional term called ostigari, I believe. Um, But you like kind of set up for like a tea with a potential suitor. And my mom had a lot of those and she said no. And then she said yes to my dad and he was visiting from the US and they got married 10 days later. They were like complete opposites. Um, they didn't have a foundation in their relationship and 
through this like traditional sense, they were expected to like raise a family together and have this long life. And that didn't work out for them. And like when they got divorced, I was like, it made sense to me that they were getting divorced because I never really saw them together. I spent three years of my childhood in Iran with my mom and brother and my dad wasn't there. And um, when they got divorced, my dad had another partner that he was seeing. And um, this person became like a mom to me. And uh, they were a part of my life for the most formidable years for like over 10 years. And, you know, after that, my dad had other partners that he was with for a long time. And they also influenced my life for a long time. Being, when I was younger, I kind of created this fantasy that I was going to find like the love of my life, like Disney kid, you know, and that that would be my story. And as I've gotten older and like kind of experienced my dad having all these different partners, I was like, I don't know if this is realistic to think that one person can be your everything and this is what you have. And so I, you know, coming to New York, I like was exposed to a lot of different things. I was dating a lot of different people. I definitely can own that I have had, I think, commitment issues, like in the sense that I haven't really had that many long-term relationships. And when it gets close to that, I've kind of freaked out. Slash, I also attract a lot of unavailable people. <laughs> Everyone's getting to hear all about my, but it's a part of my journey, right? Yeah, like I'm learning about myself and I'm just curious to see like what works for people and understand what would work for me. I, I've been in situations that were like non-monogamous-ish. It's like, it's hard to say when you're dating, you're kind of, everyone's non-monogamous when you're dating, you're dating multiple people. Um, but I dated this person briefly um, a few years ago and they were like communicating with me, they were non-monogamous, how they were dating other people. And like, it was their birthday and they gave me a warning that the other women that they were dating were gonna be there. And the whole birthday party, I was just like feeling so bad and insecure and not sure who it was. And I was like, oh, what if it's them and comparing myself? And this was a younger version of me. We weren't dating that long. Um, it was uncomfortable, you know, and it, then it turned out the next day, none of them were there. <laughs> oh, and like... <laughs> <laughs> I just went through all of this, like, people were, like, worried about me. They, like, told him, like, whatever, don't, like, you know, be good to her. Um, it, so I've had just a few experiences that have influenced that. I dated someone the summer of the pandemic. He was clearly dating other people, I, but we weren't, like, very communicative about it. And I just had like just such anxiety around it, you know. I, I think it was more that he wasn't communicating with me. Yeah, about I mean, it. same with the other guy. If yeah, the other guy had been like, "Oh, actually, they didn't come," or if they came, totally. oh, that's the girl that totally. I've been dating. You know, yeah. the uncertainty is what creates it's, it's the exact, jealousy. Exactly. It's not. Yeah. Or, or it's, the, like, the insecurity, or whatever it is. You know. But like, the truth is, when I like learned about ethical slut, the book. Like my roommate at the time was uh, delving into learning about that. In theory, I really believe and understand how non-monogamy polyamory can make a lot of sense. And I believe fundamentally in the beauty of non-monogamy, like, you know, seeing how 
I have this traditional idea that men will maybe not be satisfied and cheat, you know, or maybe I won't be satisfied and I'll want to have other sexual explorations. And I would never want like, um, desire to come in the way of my partnership. Like for me, building a really strong foundation with someone is what I want. And I do believe that having that commitment to each other to build that is really important for me to even feel safe to like open and explore that. So like right now I'm pursuing like creating depth and partnership and commitment with one person. I have never really fully experienced it and that's what I want to experience. And it's like, I don't oppose that polyamory or non-monogamy could be something that could work for me. I just don't know. And I, and I think that in theory, I think it could work, but I, I haven't had it really fully in practice, but I, I imagine it'll be a lot harder for me. I would like to be fully consumed and fully consume someone and just like, really be there for each other. And I think that's where my desire for monogamy comes in. I, yeah, I, I believe in non-monogamy. I believe when you're getting to know someone and you're not committed to each other, you should have the option to explore if that's what you both agree on. Um, but, you know, or if you want to like contain the commitment and build the foundation, I think that's beautiful too. So I'm I'm monocurious. <laughs> um and I would say I'm monogamous leaning in my current pursuits a longer term partnership, but I don't think non-monogamy is like completely out of the picture for me. I, I can't say I don't have enough information, yeah. which is why we're here, which is why yeah. we're doing this, yeah. right? I want to like learn more and have these examples. It's meaningful to me. Yeah, I I think that what a lot of people feel more comfortable with, and Tori also mentioned this, is kind of creating that uh, stable partnership first and then perhaps maybe opening up. Um, and not to say that people who choose to begin open are not doing what's right for them, but I do find that it's important to have that security, build that security with one partner so you are not as afraid if you do open up that that partner won't come back to you, right? Because you have a level of commitment, you have uh, built the communication skills, etc. Um, but yeah, it sounds like you both are in a similar um, point in the spectrum, although perhaps for slightly different reasons. Well, and one thing that I wanted to clarify, I shared this quote with you earlier, mm -hmm. but it was... Um, Old souls do not marry for romance. They marry to be of service to humanity and to the cosmos. They marry to serve the principle of marriage, which is one of service, of service not to themselves, but to humanity and to the world as a whole. They come together at the appointed time to unite their energies as an act of service to their creator. So super beautiful. This actually not has nothing to do with Judaism, um, but the concept to me is is beautiful because if you think about it it's like what are we agreeing is the orientation like is the orientation like me 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 is it us or actually is it something like larger than us and i think like you know inherently it's very difficult because 
the ego will always dictate everything comes back to like me, 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 and like meeting my needs and like, you know, oh, well, you expecting one person to meet all your needs. Maybe you need a bunch of people to meet all your needs. Yeah. And it's like, well, what if the orientation isn't about my needs or it's not about your needs, but it's actually about like, what can we do to be in service of the world? And it's like, that's the orientation. If like you keep coming back to that and you're like, wow, we have the potential to create life. That is like a, that's an amazing thing. And we have the potential to like build something really amazing, whether that's, you know, you know, it's a family, it's the family unit's potential, yeah. whether it's like, you know, the impact you have on your community, like all of that. And I was like, if you start there and it's like, that's the orientation, um, you know, seeing like, okay, there are other needs that might need to get met. And maybe there's, you know, a role that other people can play in that, but it's almost like, it's just a different orientation. Whereas like, if the, you know, when I read some of the, I've read a lot of the you know, same books like Ethical Slot, you know, um, Polysecure, things like that. The orientation is very much on like, you know, the me or the I and like my needs. And, you know, <laughs> my joke is like, I'm already narcissistic enough. And I'm like, I need to work on like being of service. And like a huge part of why I want a family is to help actually train me to like be more oriented to like giving to like, you know, a <laughs> child that will that <laughs> will take, take, take. I love what you guys are sharing, but I do want to be mindful and what you are saying right now sounds like when you are talking about being of service to humanity, are you referring also to how you want to be in a committed monogamous marriage in order to do that? Is that the orientation that you No, are? to clarify, like I'm not saying you can't have that same orientation in a poly relationship. So to be super clear, like that's why I keep using like I statements. It's more like for me, I'm starting at like, what is my first priority? And it's like, finding a relationship where it can be oriented like this. And then like, if we then decide to explore and it's like, like other things to me, like being open or doing that, that would be like only if it made sense in the context of a relationship, but it's not a priority. Cause it's like that, it kind of goes back to much earlier in our conversation. We talked about what are you willing to give on and what is like a top priority. Yeah. And I guess this is just my way of saying like, I would make this more like closer to my top priority. And then the other stuff would be like, if it fits within the equilibrium of our relationship, like I'll know then, you know, but I'm not like selecting. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes sense because as we talked about, it's true that resources are limited. It makes total sense that you want to put your resources on something outside of yourself and, and your desires. And I respect that perspective. Um, there's another perspective, which we won't get into <laughs> because we don't have time, which is, if you fulfill your desires, then you you are going to be better off to actually give because you are actually um, reaching yeah. self-fulfillment. Your own cup cup before it over. Yeah, yes. and like if, if part of filling your cup mm. is being non-monogamous, then that's what you must do if you want to be of service of others. But I do agree that there's a distinction between what's best for you and what you want, right? So a lot of people might want to be non-monogamous because they might want the sex or they might want this or that. And that's not really what's really going to like yeah. make them feel good and help them be of service. But if they are actually in tune with what they need to be of service and that's been non-monogamous, then I think that that's great. I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, so we've talked about so many interesting things today, and I'm so glad you both uh, shared your perspective. Uh, as we come to an end, uh, what would you guys tell to a monocurious person? So that can be our listeners, it can be people who might be curious about the things that we've been talking about today. 
one-liner takeaway is like you can still be really progressive with how you're thinking yeah. about relationships and community and feel most comfortable yeah. in a monogamous relationship and that's okay it can be beautiful to be in a polyamorous relationship it can be beautiful to like be partially open and it can also be like like it's also okay don't feel like you have to be progressive yeah because one thing i didn't share my brother keeps getting hurt he keeps getting hurt because he's a very sensitive person and he's trying to like you know work out all the jealousy and all this kind of stuff but then he keeps going in his relationships too. being like i'm not going to get attached but he's sleeping with them and then shockingly attached. gets attached and then shockingly like they sleep with other people and then he ends up you know feeling really hurt and then calling me and i'm like listen it's okay to like admit that you're feeling hurt that doesn't make you like weaker or like you have some insecurity or something that's wrong with you it's like it's okay to be like you're desiring something that's like a different type of relationship like that's more you know committed and where you know and and if that's where you're at that's just what your body and like that's what you're being told like that's okay but what's funny is i think he feels a lot of pressure yeah yeah in the communities that he's a part of how about you ava yeah um i mean i think being really true to yourself is important and you can explore all sorts of relationships and i think the biggest thing is communicating what you want and what works for you and like what your desires are and i think like the more we can um connect in person and less you know online the better it is for our relationships and our personal growth the more we can have you know maybe the hard conversations that we're not feeling a connection or maybe that we are like i think it's beautiful to say that we are feeling a connection these are just like little tidbits but i think really at the baseline it's communicating communicating your desires i know in non-monogamy it's such a focus that like i think monogamy can really borrow from that yeah i love that i love that well thank you guys so much this has been truly wonderful thank you fair this was so fun thank you for having us thank you everyone for listening to today's episode a lot of you might be new to the podcast, uh, especially if you are monocurious and not polycurious. But as you might have already noticed by the past couple of episodes, relationships are relationships, whether they are non-monogamous or not. And a lot of the struggles are actually the same. So please, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss on our third season of Polycurious as well as on the last episode of Monocurious that's coming out next week. Also, if a friend came to mind while you were listening to this episode, make sure to share it with them. As usual, my email is polycuriouspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all social media at polycuriouspodcast. Thank you for tuning in today and I'll see you all on the next episode.